Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hey audience, welcome to Achieve Wealth Podcast, where we focus a lot on value at real estate investing. Today, we have uh, Jeff Greenberg, who has more than 40 years experience in management, staff supervision, development and training. Uh, he has been, Jeff has been investing since 2007 and have over more than 40 million uh, multi-property projects consisting of around 1,000 units. Um, so it consists, the deals uh, that he controls consists of student housing and some of the multifamily units across Georgia, Arizona, Texas, and Ohio. And, and um, Jeff focuses a lot on value at student housing, which is very interesting, right? Uh, we have, I mean, until now, we have a lot of uh, podcast interview on conventional multifamily, um, you know, workforce housing. Uh, but now uh, we're going to talk a lot more about student housing. But uh, Jeff has also done market rate and also senior living uh, multifamily properties. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the show. Well, how are you doing today? I'm good. Good. <laughs> so uh, thanks for coming in. Uh, I want to go a bit more detail on how did you get started? Uh, because you went across a uh, thousand units across different uh, states. So can you describe to our listeners and audience on how did you get started? Well, um, probably similar to a lot of other people. Um, I, I started out with single family, but actually never did any single family deals. Hmm. Um, I, that was in 2007 when the uh, prices were going down so fast that it was hard to um, do much in the single family area uh, as far as um, REO properties. The banks weren't releasing them. So um, I did bump into a guru, a guru. And so I did go to seminars and did get some mentoring um, around in 2000, uh, well, 2007, 2008. And then um, started with my first property that I ever bought, other than my own personal residence, was a 20-unit property. And it was a syndicated deal. So we brought in investors into that first deal. And that was essentially my entry into it. Skipped right past all the single-family stuff. And what year was it, Jeff? That was the first property we bought, actually, was in 2010. 2010, okay. Okay, yeah. So 2010, you started with 20 units, and and and, and the guru and the cost that you you had taken uh, was that more on multifamily or multifamily or was it more on the single family side of it? That was all multifamily stuff. Okay, got it. So you got into that, and then you started buying 20 units, and and uh, which market was that? Well, that market was in Harlingen, which is in uh, South Texas. Okay, it's near Brownsville for in Brownsville and McAllen. For those people that know that area. Okay, okay. And uh, so 2010 was supposed to be a perfect time to start investing in real estate after the 2008 crash. Can you describe what happened in your first deal? I mean, at high level, you know, how, you know, what happened and you know, how did you come up in terms of the results for the first deal? Yeah, the, the first deal 
that property was only three years old. It was built in 2007. It was 100% occupied. And it was in a um, slow, very slow growth market. So we had the the big plans of raising rents and um, they were already paying electric. So we were planning on building back water. And the problem was the... Um, it was very difficult to raise the rents. We were getting a lot of resistance and doing the bill back of the water, we met with a lot of resistance. So, and, and we had nowhere else to go. It was already 100% occupied <laughs> because it was a new property. And so that was our value add that we, that was a plan which didn't work very well because we couldn't get those rents up. It took a, a long time to get the rents up. So the lesson learned from there was you know, that you needed to do more research onto uh, the potential for the value adds. Um, and in that in that property, we held it for six years. We were supposed to sell in five. We held it to six because we drew a line in the uh, sand as far as what price we would take. And it took us an extra year before we were able to get that price in order to get the investors a fair return. But it took us an extra year. otherwise there wouldn't have been much uh, much of a profit on that property. So it was, it was, a, it was a seminar. It was a seminar. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's uh, awesome that you're sharing your first uh, lessons learned, right? Because sometimes, uh, you know, we forget that, you know, there are things that we missed out or there are things that, you know, we don't really see when you go and buy a multifamily, right? Sometimes you buy in a hot market and it went up 200, 300%. People think that, they did the work, right? But that's not going to be the case all the time, right? So, well, that's that's basically what happened on the next property, though. Mm-hmm. So the the next property was a property we bought in Houston, okay. uh, where it was it was a foreclosed property that we were buying it. the The owner we were buying it from actually bought it as a foreclosure. Um, so he had had it for about two years. He bought it for about, this is 62 units, so he bought it for 600,000, and we bought it for 1.3 after he had it for two years. And so we got it for about under 21,000 a unit, Hmm. and at the time in Houston, the the values were going from about 25,000 to maybe 35,000 a unit. So we still bought it under market value. And then in in uh, in three years, we sold it for two point seven million. And the reason we got that value, part of it, it was eighty five percent occupied when we got it. We got it up to ninety five percent occupied. The revenue uh, was about thirty six thousand. We got it up to about forty two thousand. But also at that time, the cap rates compressed. Mm-hmm. So we bought it at a at a nine cap and sold it at a seven cap. So we we got advantage um, of the market, the market appreciation, as well as what we did for it. So that was a perfect storm for us. So it it completely made up for our our first one in that um, the investors got a 120% return on a three-year hold, so a 40% annualized return, which you know nobody complained about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But absolutely. that's unusual. And that, and that's I mean that's that was totally different from the other property where the investors got a lot better than they would have in the bank, but uh they didn't get, you know, a fantastic return. 
So, you know, the different properties, different deals. You know, different so, deals. I mean, that too is conventional multifamily, right? Uh, and that how many? Yeah. And how many conventional multifamily did you do before you start hitting into student housing? Well, the next one after that actually was a student housing. I mean, I was okay. invested. I was invested in another um, another person's deal that was about seven hundred units, twenty million dollar deal that we were in. Uh, but the um, the next deal I did after that, I actually uh, we broke up our partnership. My my partner um, back uh, decided not to do real estate anymore, and mm. I continued on my own. And that's when I got a small property in in Ohio. Okay. Um, I had a nineteen year old student that um, went and found this property for me in Oxford, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And that's when I got into student housing. So we were talking, um, uh, we mentioned earlier as far as how I was getting into student housing. I really didn't plan on it. It was my intern that found the property and said, hey, let's get this. And the numbers looked good and we got into it. So that was our first student housing deal out in Oxford. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna go a bit more deep, deep, deeper into that. But I mean, you are you are now in California, right? You're you're based yeah. out of California, yeah. but you have been buying in McAllen, Texas, and Houston, and Ohio. So how how did you decide on where to go, or is it just whatever opportunity that comes to you? I mean, well, I've been pretty opportunistic, basically, mm -hmm. when an opportunity comes in. Right now, we're kind of reversing that a little bit and trying to do more focusing on markets. Mm -hmm. But at that point in time, we were just uh, looking at opportunities. And when an opportunity came, we did our research on the market and did it afterwards rather than doing it up ahead of time. We decided, do we really want to be in this market? And if we did, then we went up to the property. But it was more properties came to us from different directions. Um, okay. The one in Georgia, I had a lady working with me that I had trained, and she had she developed a relationship with a broker in, in Georgia, and that was pretty much where we got the uh, Georgia uh, property from, which was which was our next student housing property. So you, um, one thing I want to clarify, you said you had an intern, and you have you have uh, this lady that you have been trained. So. So do you have interns working for you or do you have students that are looking for a deal? Or what is um, yeah, the first one was an in. And then um, after that, there was a group of people that came to me and asked me to train them. Okay. And so I started training them and teaching them how to find properties. And okay. um, in the last three years, we've done a couple deals together, but they've, they've basically found the properties. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, you know, that I've been training them as as we've been going, um, showing them a lot of the different aspects of it, doing due diligence with them and, you know, taking them on the tours um, with a lot of those students. Since then, things have changed a little bit, but at that time, those were people that I had trained. So is it like part of your mentoring program or you're just trained for fun kind of thing? Um, it wasn't a formal mentoring program, but it was kind of, it was a mentoring program. Okay, um, okay got it but it was just more informal that I had helped people. And, and in turn, they would bring properties in. And uh, if we, if I liked them, we'd go after them. Oh, got it. Got it. Got so it, it saved, it saved me uh, underwriting a hundred deals to find one. They would underwrite a hundred deals, bring me one. And I'd only have to look at a few of them. 
So okay. it was a lot fewer deals that I had to look at, um, you know, when they would bring them already, supposedly already got to go. Um, and I would decide yay or nay on them if, if I liked them. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Okay, got it. So uh, coming back to the student housing, and that's, I mean, you said one of your interns found it, right? And, and uh, I mean, can you describe how did she find that deal? Well, he was embarrassed to tell me, actually. Um, he was embarrassed to tell me until after we closed um, that he actually found it on LoopNet. Hmm. Um, and, you know, there, there are deals on LoopNet, but usually they're overpriced or maybe there's some other problem with them. And it so happened that the seller was beat up by two other sellers, excuse me, two other buyers prior to uh, my purchase that we got it for a much lower rate. So at the price that we got it at, it was, it was a great deal, but at the original price, it wouldn't have been. Ah, oh, got it, got it. So, so let let's describe the process. So, this uh, intern bring you the deal, right? So, what are the few things that you look at the deal that meets, you know, uh, that you want you think, you know, you're going to take a second look at it. Well, I mean, several things. I, I, the one thing I had my interns do is I want I want to do as little work as possible myself. So I told them I wanted I want bullet points on why I want to be in that market. Mm -hmm. um, you know what's the advantages of this market? With student housing, the emphasis is more on the school, um, but all the different reasons you know that that this is a great market to be in, and then also as well as the numbers um, for the the property itself. And basically, they have to come in and give me a sales pitch and convince me. Uh, with a presentation that this is a deal I want to do. And, um, you know, the, on the regular market rate ones, you know, the typical stuff, you know, with the, the employment and the population growth and the age of the population and, and all of that uh, typical stuff that we look at. But with the student housing, it's, it's the size of the, uh, the, the college, you know, the uh, uh, percentage of uh, rooms, available on campus versus off campus. Um, you know, basically the health of the university, the location of the property, how close it is to the university, um, those kind of things that we look for more so on the student housing. So can you go a bit more deep, deeper into it? Like how far from the campus would you consider in campus versus out of campus? Well, the as far as what we look for, typically we want something within a mile of the campus. Okay. Um, the my my Georgia one's a block away. My my Ohio one is within what they call a mile square. Um, now my Arizona property is a little bit farther out. It's two miles off campus, and that one's it's a little bit more of a struggle. Um, but you're not going to get you're not going to get the the prime rates, and we understood that because you know when you're two miles out. So you want it close by the campus, you want it on the right side of the campus rather than on you know way away from the classrooms where people still have to walk a mile across the fields you know to get to campus. So you want to be on the 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 closer side where the classes are. But um, also you um, uh, what was I thinking? The um, you want to be on that oh you it will help you out also if you're near if you're near the uh, the bar district or the 
where all the, the hangouts are. Mm-hmm. So that sometimes will make up for being a little bit far from the campus if you're where all the, the hangout places, the, the cool places are. So that helps you out. The other thing in the student housing is the bedroom bathroom parity. If you could get a one-on-one with a one bedroom and a one bathroom, mm-hmm. uh, that's going to be a lot better than your four twos or your four, you know, three ones or whatever. The, the more bathrooms you have, they like that. Also, it seems that student nowadays, they want to share with fewer people. Mm-hmm. So your fours are not as, a four, a four two wouldn't be as popular as a two one, you know, where you got still got two people sharing a bathroom, but you only have two people that have to get along with each other. Um, so, and if you could get a one one, you know, you're even better off that uh, they're a lot happier with. In fact, I was talking to uh, someone the other day that had some four twos that actually split them in half and made two ones out of them. Just had to put a kitchenette in. Um, in order that they have left less people to share. Okay, interesting. So have you started focusing fully on student housing now? You're still doing conventional multifamily. We're we're doing both. We're doing both. Um, I do like the um, the fact that people mess up student housing, mm-hmm. and it gives us an opportunity. Um, you know, everybody. You know, we know. You know, from the groups that we're in. You know. Everybody's looking for value add, uh, multifamily, but there's fewer people looking for multifamily or excuse me, uh, value add student housing. Right. And so that just gives me a little bit of an advantage on that. But other than that, I mean, that's the main reason I'm looking at student housing is is because there's less people looking at it. And if you know what to do um, with the student housing. Um, you know, there's certainly uh, some great opportunities. Um, I don't think I would recommend it as somebody's first opportunity, um, the first investment, because there is a little more more risk into it. But uh, it's it's a good asset class. So let's uh, discuss some of the risks that's involved with student housing, right? So can you outline a few risks that you know a new mm-hmm. to watch out for student housing? Yeah, well, part of the part of the risk is missing the lease-up window, um, where in multifamily, if you don't lease it up this month, maybe you'll lease it up next month. Mm-hmm. But on student housing, if you don't uh, get it leased up by a certain time, and each campus is usually different, if you don't get it leased up in time during that time, you may be stuck with empty units you know, for the whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to get it leased up uh, during, during that time. Um, the other thing is, is you're going to have higher turnover, um, and it depends on the property as well. My Georgia property, we're hardly getting any turnover because there are not a lot of other options in the market. My Ohio property, there's plenty of other options, so they may go from one, you know, one property to another each year. Um, same with my my Arizona property; they they may switch around. So it's going to depend on what's available at their price range if there's going to be turnover. Um, and your turnover, my first year on the Ohio property, I think we're like 85% turnover, hmm. okay, which most people will will freak out thinking, you know, okay, 85% and it's all at once. It's everybody's gone at the same time. And so you've got to turn all these units and have them ready, you know, for the 
new tenants coming in. So we always budget for a higher expense as far as because of the turnovers, because turnovers, uh, as we know, is one of our bigger expenses. Um, so we'll budget for that. Um, we, you know, a lot of people think that student housing, you have a lot of lot more in the way of damage. Okay. Um, and we really haven't seen that. We haven't okay. seen a lot of damage. Uh, and the thing is, is we charge back everything that's, that's uh, caused by the students. It's not, that isn't normal wear and tear. Okay. I mean, we get things, you know, wine stains in the carpeting, you know, or iron, iron marks where they put an iron down on the carpeting and melted the, melted the carpeting. Um, shot glasses or beer caps in the garbage disposal. We do get lockouts, you know, where we're, you know, having to fix a door because somebody kicked it in in order to, mm. you know, to get in or, or you get domestic disputes where, you know, some boyfriend goes and punches a wall because he's pissed off or something. I mean, we do get some of those, but mm. the the deposits cover most of that stuff. Got so it. I mean, I'm sure the parents will pay too. I guess, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it gets if it gets beyond the deposit, what we have, uh, then the parents will will usually jump in. And how much is the turnover cost that you usually budget for student housing? Like in in conventional, usually, like for me, I usually budget like hundred dollars per unit per year. As far as for turnover. Yeah. Well, not not repair maintenance, just turnover. I mean, over overall, I mean, I mean, I know when we we budgeted. Well, if we look at the overall return, repair and maintenance budget, usually we're at about five or six hundred. Correct. Right, yeah. Overall, and oh, so yeah. my student housing ones, my Ohio one, I believe we're at eighteen hundred, eighteen hundred per unit. Repair and maintenance plus repair the yeah. Wow, that's a lot. But I don't, I don't think we're, you know, that's, I have to lower that down. I don't even think we're using that, but that's what I, that's what I originally put in. About okay. That. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Because usually total repair and maintenance plus turnover is like 500 to you know maximum 600 on conventional. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be, it's mainly because of your turnover cost. And we've been on that property, we've been painting every wall every, every time we turn over, which, okay. I'm, you know, I'm not sure if we need that, but um, we've we've been doing that. It's been a little bit higher. I mean, it's been higher on that one. The other ones are one in one in Georgia. Our turnover costs aren't nearly as much. And what do you is that other than do you do anything special to reduce your turnover costs? Well, we try to encourage uh, releasing, um, and we do give um, lower lower rates for those people that are releasing as well as if they release early we do give them um uh discounts on that and and the I'm thing is like i get medium. on my on my georgia property so if if they don't re if they release um we may we may keep their rent at the same rate or maybe just raise it slightly mm -hmm. um in order to keep them in because that saves us a lot of money that saves us a lot of money on the turnovers correct Correct. What about on the interior, like like carpets versus vinyl versus you know um, metal? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, typically, I mean, we don't have to make it too fancy, but we do put. Um, I believe uh, in the Ohio one, we've got roll-on uh, the roll-on vinyl uh, flooring. Um, in the bedrooms, we do have carpeting. Um, it's just uh, for Mica, 
countertops. We don't really need we don't need to do anything fancy, um, and that's going to depend as well on the on the the uh, demographics of your clients. Um, my George, my my Arizona property, excuse me, my my Ohio property is upper middle class. That's mm-hmm. Miami University, and it's probably an upper middle class clientele. Uh, my Georgia property is a very uh, low economic clientele. They would be thrilled with anything we put in there. Mm. So we we just kind of resurfaced the the vinyl um, the vinyl uh, countertops or the Formica countertops. We did some chemical wash on the showers and the tubs and and repainted everything. Uh, we do have nice uh, laminate floor in there, uh, except for the uh, bedrooms. The bedrooms, the only rooms with carpeting. Just painted the cabinets. You know, from from the state that they were in, um, what we did just totally brightened up the property. I mean, just totally changed it. They were they were a mess. And this isn't an old property. That's a 1999 property, mm. but there was some old indoor outdoor carpeting in the hallways that just looked just totally disgusting. That we put all vinyl laminate in the hallway and it looks great now. Awesome. And what about during summer? Do they? I mean, a lot of them don't stay in the unit, right? So do they still pay mm-hmm. for the summer or does it get free rent or is it vacant or what's happening? Again, that de- depends on each of each of our markets. In the Georgia one, I believe we were 70% uh, for this summer, which is high. I think last year we were about 60% during the summer. So those that are going to summer school can stay there. Um, but in August, we'll be back up at 98 to 100%. Uh, on on that property, that was a property we bought at thirty percent occupied, hmm. and um, now we're we're over a hundred, or we're at a hundred. I guess not over. We're at a hundred percent occupancy on that one. And what about students, which is more like a you know four year degree versus postgraduate degree? You know, have you tried experimenting with that? Um, in Ohio, my Ohio property, we have some studio apartments, and those a lot of those are rented to. Uh, graduates as well as young professors. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those are those are great tenants if you can get them. Uh, the graduates, they're a little more mature, and uh, you never hear anything from them. <laughs> yeah, so so yeah, those those are great uh, on some of the properties. We do have graduates in some properties, but most of them are most of them are second year students. Um, typically, the schools uh, want the uh, or require that the students stay on campus the first year, so as uh, as freshmen. So right. we usually we usually get them as uh, sophomores. Got it, got it. So coming back to the demand side of it, right? For student housing, let's say the price on in terms of rent. I mean, the rent is much much higher compared to the normal workforce housing. Right? Do Do you think that's mm-hmm. a benefit as well? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, the and the rent is higher than we get more benefit from the additional rent than it costs us on the uh, additional any additional maintenance expenses. So there is a a higher um, uh, cost benefit that we do get from the student uh, housing. Okay. So that's that's one of the things we like. The other thing that we do like also about the student housing is it is. It is fairly um, recession res- uh, resilient, and 
you know, we all know that we're in a high point in our market right now. We never don't quite know what's going on as far as, uh, you know, where we're going to be in the economy. And student housing historically has done very well during down markets. And that's something also that I look at when I look at a property is how well did it do during the last recession and to see how far how far down it dipped. And typically you find that student housing and, and as well as self-storage uh, typically uh, do well uh, in those markets. And so that's another reason why we like looking at those now as well. Yeah, I think the rationale is people go to school when the economy downturn, right? So that's part <laughs> of it. That's part of it. And the other thing is, is parents are going to try to get their kids uh, into college as soon as they get out of high school, because if they lose them to the workforce for a year or two, you know, it's going to be real tough getting them back in. Oh, got so, it. So if, if a parent is going to be uh, paying for their kid, they are going to find a way to do it. Otherwise, they may not get them into college later on. Got it. Got it. So what is in terms of value add? And I'm sure you are trying to make your community in terms of student housing much more better than other community. Right. So what are the value adds that you do in your community that you think, you know, you'll be able to command much higher rent and much higher occupancy? Well, the the one thing is that I mean, the one we haven't really done is the um, the bed to bath parity. And as I mentioned, the person that broke broke a four two into a two one, mm-hmm. um, that was a value add because, as I said, the students prefer not to share. Um, if if you could add another bathroom, so you've got two two, even if it's a small little bathroom, you know, or just uh, you know a makeup area or you know, with a sink, um, that's of great value because mm. the students now don't like to, to share the, the bathrooms. I've got, um, in Ohio, I've got some four fours um, as well as some four twos, but the, they, they love having their, their own private bathroom. Uh, in Georgia, my property is all five twos. No, excuse me, excuse me, that's Arizona. Arizona's all five twos, five bedroom, two baths. That's not as desirable. If I if I could put in some other baths, I would probably uh, you know uh, make people happy, but that's a little expensive. That's not a real, you know, cost effective way of doing it. Um, but also we we uh, in the Georgia property, we put Wi-Fi throughout the property. Um, so they've got they essentially, uh, you know, anywhere they get on the campus or on the property, they've got the Wi-Fi. Um, so that was definitely a, a value add that we put into it. Um, what about other things like study rooms or library in the community? We we are we just redid our office and we did put in a, um, a, a what do you call it? A, a work a workspace a workspace business center kind of thing. Yeah, a business center exactly. We did put in a business center uh, where uh, they could come in and print if they need to print documents because a lot of people, a lot of the kids have their tablets or their laptops or their phones or whatever, but they may not even have printers these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess a lot of the stuff they submit right online and you know in a PDF to their teacher or whatever. But we did create the business center so they could come in and uh, uh, print stuff out if they need to. And do that, and also have a scanner where they can, you know, scan their documents and send them in. 
Got it, uh, got it, got it. The other thing that we were looking at, but we may not, we may leave for the next uh, uh, owner because we are selling this property, is um, a picnic area. We haven't built that yet. Put a picnic area with uh, some barbecues and that kind of stuff. But um, that's that's the last phase of what we've been trying to do on this property. The main thing on this property is we've been, and um, the, the the students have loved it is just fixing it up so it's much more livable. It was it was pretty disgusting when we got there. I mean, it was it was a nasty place, and that's why it was thirty percent occupied. And uh, now now we've got the premium property in the, in the market. Yeah, I mean, there you go. I mean, this is value add in terms of managing it right, right? So just people love that. And the, the other thing that we did on this particular property is we got a relationship with the school. We mm -hmm. went on campus and talked to all the athletic, uh, all the coaches and told them we wanted them to send their athletes over to the property. And at first, well, the track coach went and looked at us like, like we were from Mars and said, why, why would I want to send my kids over there? And then we invited them to come over and look at the property to see what we had done. And now we've we've got a bunch of athletes over there now after they've see the improvements we've done. We also have uh, participated as a sponsor with the athletic department where we give them a donation every year. And we've been able to get a, an advertisement spot on their Jumbotron during all home basketball and football games. And so we've been putting our advertisement there. And that's that's why we're essentially at 100% with waiting list uh, on this property. But, you know, we got a relationship with them. We've gone, you know, we went and communicated with the police chief and, and the mayor. The mayor actually came out where, to our open house wearing one of our T-shirts. Oh, really? The mayor, the mayor of the city. Wow. Um, so it was, we got really involved with the community. It's, it's a small market, but we did get involved with that. And all of that essentially added value. Um, there's, you know, like I said, we've got a waiting list now. Um, we can raise rents. The main thing that we were emphasizing throughout this two-year hold, we've only had it for a little over two years, um, was getting the getting the uh, the occupancy up. That was the big thing. I wanted the occupancy up. I didn't care about raising rents. Now we've got the occupancy. Now we're going to start raising rents. Or what we're doing is we're actually selling it, so we're leaving it for the next person. The next guy. To come the next guy could come in, raise rents without having to do anything. They wow. could come in, raise rents without having to do anything, because we've re we've uh, redone this entire property. Awesome, awesome. Very, 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 very interesting uh, tips on how to, you know, uh, get engaged in student housing marketing. So, what what about financing? Who gives the financing? Is it still agency loans or is it small banks or how is that well we'll start out with the georgia property the georgia property we paid all cash at 30 okay. percent occupied we weren't going to be looking <laughs> for a lender yeah uh, the my ohio property that was a challenge um and it ended up that i went with a private privately owned bank hmm. they have it's a it's not a small bank it's 36 branches so i wouldn't call it real small but it's privately held and uh, they in, they invest in um, they'll loan in Kentucky and Ohio, I think. So if anybody's looking for either student housing or or lending, um, they do those two states. They're they're actually a Kentucky-based uh, lender. 
the the Arizona one was just a bridge, a regular bridge lender um, that um, that funded that one, and eventually we'll go out of the bridge and uh, we'll go out of the bridge into a uh, an agency loan. So you think you can get agency loan on student housing? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can we can get agency debt on it. Because I know usually when I go for agency, they usually ask, you know, how many percent are students, how many percent mm -hmm. are corporate housing and all that. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember if it's Fannie or Freddie that will do student housing, but okay. they, do, they do require a certain population. I think it's 15,000 student population. Something like that. Got it. Oh, really? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, but I, I don't remember which one it was, but one of them will do, will do agency. Yeah. That's awesome. So let's go back to slightly more personal question. So mm -hmm. do you have any proud moment in your real estate career that you know you really remember throughout you, you're gonna remember for a long time, right? So that you think I really, really did something that I'm really, really proud. Do you wanna share that with the listeners? Well, I could go back to the Georgia property where uh, I had a period that I actually was brought to tears that um, when we were doing that video that I was talking about that we, that we gave to the, the school to uh, put on their, their, for our advertisement, um, I actually went down and did the interviewing of the students myself for that um, property because I, had a, I have a background in video mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> the stuff that our property management was taking was just horrendous. So, <laughs> so I went down there and interviewed the students. And I didn't tell them who I was. They, they didn't know I was one of the owners of the owner. And the last question I asked um, them, you know, was if you had an opportunity to talk to the owner or to let the ownership know, you know, what would you tell them? And some of the answers that I got were just tearjerkers. I mean, I had one girl that, that said that she was so happy with her new, uh, her new, uh, unit that her new room that she now can actually bring her mom and show her where she lived that mm -hmm. she was actually proud of where she was was living now and some of the other students were just saying you know how much safer they felt you know in much much nicer environment we had gotten rid of all the riffraff we had gotten rid of a lot of people that were not students but they were just living there and just smoking dope and um you know, we had increased the security and we had uh, the the police coming by, you know, just to keep things, you know, uh, safe. And so just just talking to these kids, they're not kids, they're 19, 20 year old, you know, young adults. But that was one of the most rewarding moments I had because here they were. This is a low economic area where most of these students, you know, have you know, very disadvantaged upbringings, and we were giving them a nice, clean, safe uh, place to live that they could be proud of, and they appreciated it, um, much more so than um, so on some of the other properties where we may have upper middle class people in there that probably don't appreciate what you're doing as much as these guys do. So that was just an absolute, uh, you know, great opportunity to be there with these guys. Yeah, it's it's very interesting on how you know we as entrepreneurs and operators change people's life, right? And it's just so fulfilling when you do that, right? And it's just that I, I don't know. For me, it means a lot, right? Rather than making the money, I mean, this story you will you'll always remember it, right? 
I mean, sometimes you forget about how much money you made in that deal, but mm-hmm. how you impacted people's life, which is, I think, is very important. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think about. I mean, certainly we're all going to make money on this deal, you know, uh, a good amount once we once we sell this. But that feeling, you know, I'll have all the time. I mean, that's, yeah. that was great, you know, hearing these guys. Correct, correct, correct. So any, um, any advice that you want to give for newbies who want to walk your path in, uh, you know, in multifamily and in student housing in, in general, right? How do they want to be su- as successful as you? You know, the thing is, is, is find, find somebody that's walked the walk. You know, it could be a mentor. It could be a formal mentor. It could be somebody that's doing it. If you find somebody in your area or someone you meet up that, that is successful in whatever it is they're doing, be it multifamily, student housing, you know, senior living, whatever, if you find somebody else that's successful and find a way of being some kind of service to them, how you could help them out. And you go to them with that, that, hey, I would like to help you out do something and learn from them. That's, that's the best way to learn anything is to be working with somebody else that's doing it. Um, you know, that, that would be what I would do. Um, you know, I did some formal mentoring uh, in the beginning. And that helped me get started. I would have loved to have been working side by side with someone with more experience. Uh, as it was, my partner and I were both about at the same level uh, when we started. But uh, being around someone that's been there and done that is a great way to to start out in this business. Awesome, awesome. Hey, Jeff, uh, we almost made it to the end. You want to let our audience know how to reach you? Well, you can email me at jeff at synergeticig.com, and that's spelled S-Y-N-E-R-G-E-T-I-C-I-G.com, or you could go to my website, which is also www.synergeticig.com. Uh, you could also get a hold of me in bigger pockets, and uh, I'm around on the forums a little bit. Yeah, I remember when I was starting in real estate, I used to see you a lot on on bigger pockets. So it's good to. <laughs> I haven't been on as much lately. I need to uh, start renewing some of that, but I was on a lot yeah. back in the beginning. Yeah, but well, that 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 got me a lot. I mean, it got me on my first podcast. So awesome, awesome. Well, Jeff, uh, thanks for adding value to our listeners and audience here. I, I, I'm sure we learned a lot. I learned a lot as well in terms of student housing and the the nuances of how to add value in in student housing and how to you know uh, operate and at least look at the deal, right? And it was very good to have you here. And that's it. Thank you very much and talk to you soon. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.